Uh, if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, I'm going to invite you to join with me in 1 Peter chapter 4 uh, this morning. We are actually back into our final week of the For the Church study that we've been doing to start out this new year. Now, if you've not been with us, I want to kind of get you up to speed with what we've been talking about because we have actually been talking about what we, and I don't mean we as in the American Evangelical Church, I mean we here at Southside Baptist Church, these are phrases that we want to be known for. Two weeks ago, um, we were talking about how we wanted to be known as a church that was together as one. In other words, we made a commitment to one another that if we were going to fight for anything, we were going to fight for capital T truth, which comes from knowing the Word of God, but we were also going to fight for unity within the church, especially in a time and in our country where so many things are so divided and so divisive. In fact, we're seeing this play out uh, not only with our own denomination, but denominations around us as well. Division is creeping into the church, and what we talked about that week is how Satan would love nothing more than to distract the church turn the church inward towards fighting and lose sight of its ultimate mission, goal, and purpose. From there, we moved into last week where we talked about how we as a church want to be a church that teaches faithfully. And we inserted the phrase, teaches the word faithfully. Again, we want to be a church that when people come to us, they see a place that prays the scriptures, a place that sings the scriptures, and a place that teaches and proclaims the scriptures and the truth that come from knowing the word of God. And we talked about how in that we not only need to be teachers of the word, but in order to be teachers of the word, we also have to read the word, which means in reading the word, we are now studying the word. And by studying the word, we are growing in our understanding of the word so that each believer can proclaim the word and therefore become teachers of the word as well, which is what we are called to be. Well, we are wrapping up this series this morning. So this is our final section in the For the Church series. Here we go. At Southside Baptist Church, we want to be a church that is known as a place where we love boldly. Now, I'm going to go ahead and save you some notes and save you some trouble. I completely recognize and understand that many of us can define the word love, and we all have our specific definitions of the word love. So for the purposes of our conversation today, let's just simply decide to define the word love as caring and nurturing uh, those who are not ourselves. Okay, so we are caring and nurturing uh, people around us, not ourselves. Moving on to the word others. Well, who are the others? Um, sometimes in a house full of women, I'm going to go ahead and tell you, I feel like the other living in my house. And I know some of you can uh, sympathize and empathize with me on that. Sometimes I, I do sense that. However, when we talk about the word others, we are talking about those around us who may not be like us. And so that's what we mean, loving others, those around us, caring and nurturing those around us who may not be like us. And then we added this phrase. We added the phrase, to love others boldly. Well, let's just for a moment define the word boldly. Boldly means in a confident and courageous way. In other words, we are, excuse me, we are showing a willingness to take risks when it comes to whatever it is that we are trying to accomplish. So for our terms today and what we're trying to do to define ourselves at Southside Baptist Church, in essence, what we are saying is that by loving boldly, we are declaring that as a church, 
We are to sacrificially serve those around us with all courage and without regard of the risks. Okay, let me read that to you one more time. As a church, we are to sacrificially serve those around us with all courage and without regard of the risks. Now, I wanted to read that twice to you because when you begin to think about this statement, that's actually a fairly bold statement to make in any arena you serve in. Because when you think about this statement, it immediately begs the following questions. When was the last time that we individually or we at Southside Baptist Church when was the last time we willingly cared for someone who looked nothing like us? When was the last time we as a church cared for someone who may not always agree with us? When was the last time as a church we cared for someone who may not share the same political views that we share? Or the last time we cared for someone who may share a difference of opinions when it comes to favorite sports teams? When was the last time we cared for those who may not share the same understanding of Jesus Christ that we share together? Better yet, when was the last time we willingly cared for someone who was a complete stranger that we wouldn't even talk to if given the chance to walk away? You see, these are questions that we have to be able to answer as a church. Now, in Peter, in 1 Peter we see in his first letter to the churches that he actually calls the believers to this type of love. A love that was self-sacrificing. A love that was selfless, if you will. And ultimately what he would do is call the believers to a love or to a stewardship of both love and grace itself. So again, if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, we're going to begin reading in 1 Peter chapter 4, and we're going to begin reading in verse 7. And once you have found yourself there, if you can and you are able, I would invite you now to stand in honor of the reading of the Word of God. Now this is the Word of God from 1 Peter chapter 4, beginning in verse 7. Peter writes, the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. As good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. In order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray together. Father God, we come before you right now thankful for your word. Father, we come before you thankful for the opportunity to study your word, to gain a better understanding of who you are through your word. And so, Father, we ask and prepare and pray that in these next few moments as we study this passage, we ask that you and you alone would be glorified. Father, open our eyes and our ears to your truth today. 
Help us to see today more of who it is you are calling us to be as a church. And again, Father, may you be glorified in these next few moments. Lord, we love you. We thank you for loving us. We thank you for delighting in us. And Father, we praise you now. For it's in your precious and holy name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. Now, just to give you a little bit of background, Peter here is actually writing to the persecuted church throughout Asia Minor. Now, this was a this was a letter that was going to multiple churches, so it was not simply for the Jewish believers, but he was also now writing to the Gentile believers as well. Now, to understand what we mean about persecuted church, we're not talking about the type of persecution we're dealing with in the United States. I'm still not convinced we are a persecuted church here in the United States. I think we're a church that's losing some of our privilege, but I would dare not compare us to the persecution faced in the Middle East or in Africa or in Far East Asia. That would be more in line with the persecuted churches of Asia Minor. You see, these were churches that were not only being verbally assaulted and attacked, but they were being physically attacked as well. There were moments where even in their own worship services, they didn't know whether or not the person standing next to them was a brother or sister in Christ or someone there who had come to report them. Now, by being reported, multiple things could happen. The believers could be dragged out of their worship. They could be beaten. They could be torn in two or ripped apart. They could be tortured to the point where they rat out the entire congregation only to have the rest of the congregation be rounded up and the same thing happen to them. So for Peter to be writing to the persecuted church, this is a church that has faced its scars. It's a church that has faced hurts and hardships. They have not only fought battles externally with the persecution they faced, but they've also fought battles internally as well. And so Peter writes to them. Now, notice this about Peter. Notice that Peter has come a long way since his confrontation with Paul about who it is we should minister to and where we should spend our time. You remember that disagreement that occurred between Peter and Paul. Now, this was also the same Peter who, if you remember in the gospel accounts, is the same Peter who denied Christ three times and then was restored back to Jesus Christ. So if there is anyone who knows or anyone who understands love and grace, then it would clearly be Peter by this point. You see, these qualities about Peter really begin to shine through when we see the boldness with which he proclaimed the gospel after his own restoration. So let's look together at these passages again. In verse 7, Peter writes, The end of all things is at hand. Now let's just pause there. Now, this does not mean that Peter believed that Jesus Christ was coming soon, meaning the matter of hours, minutes, or even days. Rather, what Peter realized is since the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, all of the major events, all of the major prophecies of God have now happened. And so there was one major event that was left, and it was the return of Jesus Christ as prophesied about 
Christ himself. And so Peter realized that we were living in the last days. Now, it didn't matter what day it was going to happen on. What mattered was the sense of urgency that he wanted all believers to be called to live with, knowing that there was much work to be done, and ultimately their time was drawing to a close. You see, chances are in this moment, Peter remembered and realized the words of Jesus Christ in Matthew 24, verse 14, when he says, And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. You see, that's a passage that we need to hold on to as believers as well, because I want to tell you, one of the things that I get asked of a lot from several of my friends who are atheists is this. As a pastor and follower of Jesus Christ, when do you think the world is going to end? Well, the reality is I don't know the time and I don't know the date. But what I do know is this. When I read Matthew chapter 28, as a believer in Jesus Christ, I am called to make disciples of all nations. And then when I go back to Matthew chapter 24, verse 14, when the gospel has been preached to all nations, then the end will come. That is what we know as believers. So Peter, like us today, recognized that this time was coming. And so he goes from there in verse 7, and he says to the believers, therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. You see, knowing that the end was near, maybe not within hours, maybe not within minutes, maybe not within days, knowing that this was going to be the final moment, Peter is now calling all believers to be devoted to prayer and to maximize their usefulness for God's kingdom. Now, we'll get into that second part in a moment, but let's just focus on this whole devoted to prayer thing for a moment, okay? You see, Peter calls the believers to be devoted to prayer. Notice what he doesn't call them to. He doesn't call them to take up their weapons and begin fighting. Notice he doesn't say, hey, if you're done with persecution, grab a few rocks and start throwing them back. Notice Peter also doesn't say this. If you don't like what they're doing to you, get on social media and talk bad about them. That'll fix it. No, Peter calls them to be people of prayer, devoted to prayer. Now, let me ask this question. As a church, if we were to characterize our life for a moment, can we say that our lives are devoted to prayer? You see, we have the blessing here each week to gather with prayer warriors on Wednesday nights at 6.30. We gather for prayer. Excuse me, we have a prayer guide that we walk through. But one of my favorite things that we pray for is at the end of that prayer service, we gather for God to fill this place with people who need to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. We pray that God would fill this place with people who need to be encouraged by the word of God, edified by the word of God, and if necessary, rebuked by the word of God for the glory of Jesus Christ. You see, those are the type of prayers that we all need to be praying on Sunday mornings at 7.30. We gather in this room. For what purpose? For the purpose of prayer. 
Why? Because the reality is this. If we are going to be people who love others boldly, then we have to be the type of people who are willing to pray for others boldly as well. You see, here's the reality. When it comes to being devoted to prayer, when it comes to maximizing our usefulness for the kingdom of God, we need to realize that what Peter is saying right here in verse 7 is this. As believers in Jesus Christ, we were created for a purpose. No one was put on this earth as an accident. I don't know who this is for this morning. I don't know where you are. I don't know what you're struggling with. But I want you to hear this this morning. You are here for a reason. God has a purpose for you. There is a plan for your life. And you are called to do what it is that God has called you to do. Both personally in your life and corporately within the church, and in each moment of the day, according to his word. We have purpose. You see, Peter here in verse 7 is giving us an all-hands-on-deck type of call. In other words, for Peter, speaking to the churches here in Asia Minor, there was no room for people to simply be sitting on the sideline or simply waiting in the wings. Now, I understand there are times where as believers... We come to the throne of God and we come to the church and we come to the sanctuary because we are hurt and we are wounded. And in those moments, we need grace. In those moments, we need support. In those moments, we need love. In those moments, we need healing. But once the healing begins to take place, once healing has happened, once restoration has happened in our life, then we are called to be active believers faithfully serving the Lord. Notice that no one is called to be a pew-sitter. They're called to be active in their faith. You see, all of us need to be willing to proclaim Jesus Christ. All of us need to be willing to pray for his will. All of us need to be praying for his work to be done in this place. And so here's the question for us this morning, according to verse 7. Are we praying God's will for our lives? Are we praying God's will for our church here at Southside Baptist Church? Are we crying out with urgency for the people in our life who desperately need Jesus Christ before the end comes? Remember, it was Jesus who prayed in the garden, Father, not my will, but yours be done. When was the last time we prayed God's will over ourselves and over the work that he has called us to? Peter continues in verse 8 and 9. He says, above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without Grumbling. Now notice what Peter's doing here. Here's a call to keep loving one another. Now when we read this phrase, continue or keep loving one another, this is an enduring type of love, a continuing love, a long-lasting love. This is not a love that you fall into and then fall out of. No, this is an enduring love that testifies that we as believers are living in the light of Jesus Christ. Why? Because Peter says it. Because love covers over a multitude of sins. Think about this for a moment. 
where love abounds, offenses are frequently overlooked, and they are quickly forgotten. Think about that type of love that Jesus Christ had for us. Think about the fact that one day we too are going to stand before judgment. And as we listen, after sin, after sin, after sin are hurled our way, we start thinking through the mistakes that we have made. We can look to Christ and Christ says, yes, those things are forgotten because they are forgiven. You see, there is forgiveness when it comes to Christ. You know, this is that moment where when we look at those people in our lives and we say to ourselves, this person will never change. When you get to that point, stop for a moment and look at your own life. And look at how Jesus Christ changed you. You see, here's the reality. We just sang about this so beautifully just a moment ago. We are here because of God. We were found as wretched sinners. But by God's grace, through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, we have been restored, we have been redeemed, we have been made new, and we have been found to be righteous. Not because of anything we have done, but because of God's sovereign plan from day one. You see, notice what it says here in Proverbs Chapter 10, verse 12, in speaking of love, when it comes to the believers, it says, hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all offenses. You see, as believers in Jesus Christ, as those who have experienced the love of God that can be found in knowing Christ, we too have been called to be people of love. That means this for us. We can't be the type of people who hold people's offenses against them once they have been confronted and forgiven. And forgiven. As believers in Jesus Christ, understanding what love is according to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, which is what we read earlier, when it comes to conflict and how we are to handle it, we need to be sure to ask before we accuse and we need to be ready to accept a brother and sister back in grace and forgiveness. You see, if you want to ask me what is one thing that's lacking in the church today, it's grace. We have gotten so wrapped up in our social justice issues that we have now become believers who'd rather burn and blow up the bridges than we would to mend and restore relationships. You know, I was talking to a pastor the other day about this, and we were having a very similar thought and a very similar conversation in a cohort we were a part of, and we were listening as one other pastor began to share with us about some of the struggles that he was having in his own church, and we began to realize that what we're seeing in society, this condemning and constant attack of people, this is epidemic of what's happening in the church today as well. And if we want these things to change in our society, if we want these things to change in our world, then they have to first change within us, which means we as a church need to change how it is we are operating. We have to be people of grace. We have to be people of forgiveness. You see... 
This is what it means to love others boldly. But notice Peter wasn't done there. Peter then went on to this phrase. He said this, we need to be people who show hospitality. Now, this was actually a big deal because when you look at Peter's day, this was actually perilous times for the believers to be living in. Not only were they facing persecution, but both Jews and Gentiles, whether believers or not, they all valued the hospitality of others, especially when it came to times of travel. You see, for the Jews and Gentiles, you didn't just walk into a hotel, check in, and have a perfectly decent locked door that you needed a key card to get into. No, they would travel to these inns. They would travel to these places, and these inns were filled with dangerous and corrupt people. They often found themselves in these places being robbed, being beaten, and being sold into slavery. So as leaders in the church, Peter was telling the churches of Asia Minor to be a place that welcome all those who come. We also see this in the definitions of what it means to be a deacon and a leader in the church in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and Titus chapter 1. We need to be people who willingly take others in, receive others from where they are to show them the love of Jesus Christ in the way we accept them with no expectation, full of grace, love, and mercy, full of serving and service, and then expecting nothing in return. You see, too many times people walk into our churches, and I'm not just talking Southside. I mean the American Evangelical Church. I can't even begin to tell you how many times I've experienced this. We walk into churches and people say this. Well, I'll tell you what. If you serve me, then I will gladly serve you. Matter of fact, I remember being at a church fresh out of seminary, I remember being a young pastor, super excited about life, super excited about ministry. I had loaded up into my car with my, uh, my wife. We had traveled 12 hours, and we made plans like you wouldn't believe. We were going to walk into this church, just graduated several weeks before, and we were going to turn that place upside down for Jesus Christ. It was going to be awesome. And then I remember being picked up from the hotel one Sunday morning and getting in the car with two of the leaders of the church, and this is what they said to me. They said, we want to go ahead and tell you that if you want to be a successful pastor at our church, you need to understand that there are certain people's backs that you scratch, and when you scratch their backs, they'll scratch yours. It's all about who you know, who you can help, and how they can help you. I have never been more demoralized as a pastor in all my life. And this was three weeks after graduating seminary. You see, that's not who we're called to be as a church. Peter tells us we are to expect nothing in return when we show hospitality. We are to meet people where they are with no expectation and faithfully serve them with the hope and the purpose of pointing them to Jesus Christ through our actions. But then Peter's not done. He goes into verse 10 and he says these words, As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Peter tells us that each of us have received a gift. Peter is saying that all of us have received a gift from God. In other words, this is what he's saying, okay? Because many people read this verse and they get bogged down with, Ooh, what spiritual gift do I have? Don't get bogged down with that yet. There's other places in the Bible that we can get stuck there. What Peter is saying is this. It is God who has equipped us. It is God who has prepared us for service in the local church and service to the local church for his glory. 
You see, we are not to be a people who hoard the gifts that God has given us. We are not to be a people who simply use the gifts that God has given us, turn them internally, and not share them with the word around us. Rather, as Peter says, we are to faithfully use them as good stewards of God's grace. You see, when we reveal our love for others, when we use the gifts that the power of God has given us to point others to the grace of God for their good, and we do it ultimately for the glory of God. You see, all of us in this room have gifts that have prepared us for service to the Lord. So the question is, will we use them in order to encourage one another in faith, as we are called to in Romans chapter 1? Peter goes on from there in verse 11. And what we see Peter do in verse 11 is he begins to divide these spiritual gifts into two categories. He talks about the speaking gifts, and then he talks about the serving gifts. Now, again, I don't want us to get bogged down in the details of the spiritual gifts. That time is coming, and we will cover that ground. However, if you would like a more detailed list of the gifts, then you can look to Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, or Ephesians 4 to find out more about them. But what Peter does here is he actually breaks the gifts down into speaking and serving. And he says, those who are gifted to speak should not speak of their own glory or for their own glory. Rather, they should faithfully declare the oracles of God. In other words, they should faithfully declare the teachings of God. Or in our case, they should faithfully declare the word of God. As teachers, we as, as those gifted with speaking, we are to be exhorters of the word when we stand before people. In other words, when we stand before people, it should be about the proclamation of the word of God and not the self declaration of our own desires. That's why when we read in James chapter 3 verse 1 it says, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. In other words, we need to know that God is watching us when we teach and speak of his word. We need to know that God is listening to us when we proclaim his word here as Teachers, And so the question we have to ask ourselves, whether you stand in the pulpit and preach, whether you teach a seminar, whether you teach a Sunday school class, or you're out proclaiming the word of God, do our words bring honor to his name or do they bring glory to ourselves? Now, here's the reality. I want to take this one step further because you see we live in the social media world now. And I'm not going to sit here and be one of those pastors that says social media is bad. That's not true. I'm going to go ahead and tell you, that's, it's fantastic for me because it's a great way for me to keep up with people, keep up with friends, and for the occasional family member, it allows me to act like I'm interested even when I'm really not. It's a wonderful thing. You know what I'm talking about. But in the social media world that we live in, not only do the speaking gifts apply to those who speak and teach, but it also applies to what it is that we post. And so here's the question for us. When we post, does that post bring glory and honor to the name of Jesus Christ? When we get into our political rants on social media, does that bring glory to Jesus Christ? I mean, just imagine for a moment. 
I can't tell you how many pastors I've seen over the past few moments, just or past few months, lighting up social media with political, 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 political. And I can't help but think to myself, as pastors and teachers, if we had just invested that energy in proclaiming the word of God through social media, imagine how different many of those conversations would have been. Paul moves on there and talking from speaking gifts to the gifts that are for those who are gifted to serve. Now, here's what Peter's talking about. He is saying here that we must not be the type of people with gifted to serve to be dependent upon our own strength for service. Rather, we need to realize for those of us who have service-oriented gifts, we draw our strength from God so that God alone, according to Peter, may be glorified through Jesus Christ. In other words, when we serve, according to Ephesians chapter 6, verse 7, we are to serve as if we are serving the Lord himself and not for men. You see, what we do, we do for his glory. Now, what does this have to do with loving others boldly? Well, here's the reality. All of us have been gifted by God. In other words, we have been prepared for this moment. Now, don't miss this. As a believer in Jesus Christ, he has equipped us, he has prepared us to go out and make much of his name. And so he calls us to use the gifts that he has given to us to ultimately point people to Jesus Christ for the glory of God. We are here, we exist for God and not the other way around. So you see, these gifts were meant to be an encouragement for the believers, but to remind us and assure us of the calling that's been placed upon our lives so that we could have the boldness to love and the boldness to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is what it means to love others boldly. At this time, I'm going to ask Corey and the worship team, if they would, come back and join me on stage. And as they do, I want to share with you that God has empowered each of us, gifted each of us with the ability to serve. He has gifted each of us, all of us, with the ability to bless others. He has gifted each one of us who claim in this room to be followers of Jesus Christ with the ability to point people to his grace and to ultimately do it for his glory. You see, as believers, the God-given gifts that we have been given should be used to appoint people to Jesus Christ. And by God's grace, those same gifts that he has given to us, that same preparation that has happened in our lives, it will allow us to speak and allow us to serve so that we can love others boldly. You see, my prayer as a church is that we would be known for the love that we show others. And my prayer is that that love would be bold, that it would be courageous, and that it would ultimately, all the time, no matter what, point people to the love that can be found in Jesus Christ, our Lord. Let's pray together.